Welcome back in to the Future Sox Roundup. My name is Mike Rankin. I'm your host, Elijah Evans, alongside us. We're back doing this show. The White Sox completed their 2023 Major League Baseball draft, and all the signings are trickling in. Outside of one, we'll get to that very soon. Really good to have Elijah back. Before we get to him and his thoughts, I want to preview what's ahead. We also should tell you the standings across each of the affiliates. Charlotte Knights, 37-54. and 54. Birmingham Barons, 32-53. and 53. Winston Salem 34 and 29, Canapolis 45 and 40. This week we're talking all the draft signings. Colson Montgomery, by the way, is participating in Winston Salem after a return from injury. He's doing quite well. We'll ask a couple of questions regarding his status. We're talking Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez, and maybe a couple of other things at the end of the show that includes the deadline as we anticipate August 1st to be somewhat of a fire sale of the Chicago White Sox. But we'll get Elijah's thoughts on that very shortly. Elijah, welcome back. So good to have you. It was a lot of fun covering the draft with you. Great job doing all that you do for us and at JustBaseball.com. You can follow Elijah, by the way, on Twitter at ElijahEV8. And I wanted to talk to you this week, Elijah, specifically about the draft signings. Because when we discussed the evaluation of the draft overall, we were wondering whether or not some of these guys would get overslot, underslot, and it would tell us a lot about the strategy of Mike Shirley. So with that being said, now that we know some of the signings, almost all of the signings, to be quite honest, how do you feel about the draft now that uh, you have a little bit more context? Yeah, a lot of things make more sense now. It's good to see kind of things play out because when you look at a draft, you know, each pick individually, it's really hard to gauge exactly where the team's direction is going when you're watching pick by pick. But when you look at the entire draft, especially the first, you know, 12 or 13 rounds, and you see just kind of the landscape of everything and where the Sox decided to take more of an aggressive approach, more of a safe approach, it makes a lot more sense. And I'm feeling pretty good about this. I've been on record that I'm not the huge Jacob Gonzalez guy, but it saved the White Sox a ton of money. He's a proven guy. He's got experience. He's He's been around. So, I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, especially when you look at the fact that it saved the team almost $600,000 in bonus money that they then used to go get some really high upside guys in, in the later rounds. So you look at, you know, Christian Opper, who is the left-hander in the fifth round, and then George Walkow, the high school local guy from Downers Grove in the seventh round. Those are two guys that were like the huge upside picks. And you see that in their both of them getting significantly over slot. Opper got, you know, around $150,000 over slot and Walkow, which we knew he was going to because he was ranked as a, you know, a second round level prospect, potentially. He got about four times his slot uh, going from, you know, his slot value of 248 to around a million dollar bonus as it's been reported now. So, you know, that's, it, it's an interesting approach by the White Sox, but they really attacked the market with experienced college guys and especially a variety of guys they were able to underslot. And then they took two huge swings on, you know, really high upside guys of Walkow, who's 17 years old that we talked about on last week's episode, you know, a ton of potential upside. And then Opper, who's a guy that, you know, has touched 98, easily potential for more, a big left-handed arm um, and a guy that they were, they took a chance on in the fifth round after they had, you know, been scouting him carefully in the 10th, 11th round area last year. He he didn't sign with Oakland originally. um, And then the Sox took him in the fifth round and gave him even a good amount above the slot to get him to come join the White Sox organization. So, you know, when you look at the draft as a whole, it feels pretty good. It feels like a balance of some safety and some, some solid experienced college guys. There's a few huge upside guys. There's a few really exciting later picks. You look at a guy like Jake Peppers, who was, ranked you know as a potential seventh rounder and we got him in the ninth round uh, he got him you know uh, a guy who pitched a smaller school jacksonville state and doesn't have quite the 
experience some of these other guys in the earlier rounds do at the higher levels, um, but has a lot of stuff to like and to work with. Similar kind of, you know, chance pick. So I think there, there's there's a lot to like with this draft. And I think just in general, it's a it's a well-rounded class. And I'm, I'm just excited to see what happens and excited to see the new talent start to start to show out for the White Sox. I think that's very well described because when we look at the names, yeah, Wolkow and Opera definitely stand out. We're waiting for Matthias Lacombe, the French pitcher, to sign. And Rakunishita is somebody who's very interesting to us, you know, 5'6", somebody who makes tremendous amounts of contact and plays the game uh, in a way that takes you back multiple years is somebody who, <laughs> you know, takes the extra base. And it's just kind of a flashy spark plug on the field. You can't really take your eyes off them. And that's something that Mike Shirley referenced as well. I also want to bring this to the air quickly, Elijah, because we got an email from one of our listeners. His name is Alan Stone. You brought up Calvin Harris, who's a catcher, and the White Sox do need help at the catcher position uh, at the big league level and throughout the organization as Adam Hackenberg is ranked as their best catcher in the system now. And we're curious to see how Calvin Harris will adjust. Uh, Evan Skog is also a part of the organization who's been up and down multiple levels, who has you know, shown the ability to play at a high level and work with pitching staffs. Uh, Michael Turner has been hitting the ball very well in his first season with the White Sox, uh, first full season. But here's, here's a mention of Weston Eberle, the 16th round catcher out of Columbia. He signed for slot 150000 That was on day three. But a friend of ours emailed the show. And you can do this, by the way, futuresocks at gmail.com if you'd like your comments to be heard, questions to be answered. Alan says, I have been a White Sox fan since many joined the club. If I could quit, I would. For a variety of reasons, I watched a lot of Columbia baseball the last few years, and Eberle is a good pick. The team captain, he is already very strong, hits for power at average, will take a walk, has very good arm and controls the game. The coaches and the kids looked up to him. So shout out to Alan Stone, our guy, for emailing that information. Eberly hit 309-309-435-552 slash in the spring, led the Ivy League by throwing out 14 base stealers. That's nearly 50% of the chances a little note about a guy that we don't necessarily um, have a lot of scouting reports on, so appreciate the insight. Elijah, final thoughts on the draft as we move on. I'm excited about what's to come because we were hoping to see a lot of the talent infused into the system help propel the status of the organization, and I think a lot of these picks will help do that, especially with the advanced age kind of meshing well with a lot of the prospects that they already have. I'm excited to see them in Kannapolis and the Arizona League and to, to see where their seasons get going. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a good mention about the catchers. Two diff- very different types of catchers. Harris is, you know, the SEC, big experience. He's been around. And then you got a guy from Columbia, like you mentioned, that's just good information to know about Everly, um, who's, you know, a, a small school, right, Ivy League, but seems like he's very good behind the plate with his arm. He's got a, a huge arm behind the plate and uh, somebody who hit well and could develop the White Sox. So it's good to have two catchers. And I like a lot of the, you know, we took a lot of pitchers. The Sox organization obviously needs some pitching depth. Mm-hmm. And we really attacked that, which was, uh, you know, the, the, the organization was clearly focused on, on adding a lot of, you know, a, a combination of upside pitchers and safe pitchers, which was a great idea uh, for the future of this organization. And I just think it's going to it's going to work well. And I'm, I'm as you said, I'm just excited to see where where this draft class goes and this year and going into next year. Well, we're eyeing in the trade deadline. We'll get to that in a little bit. But first, we need to talk about Colson Montgomery. I don't know about you, Elijah. Colson Montgomery, right now, the trajectory is he will be the Chicago White Sox shortstop maybe by mid to late season next year. I mean, this is 
Not an exaggeration considering the skill set and the ability to handle every level. However, before I get too ahead of my skis, even though I just made such a ludicrous comment, I mean, if you want to construe it to be ludicrous, that's fine. But I'm just over the moon about this kid because it seems like his approach is advanced and that he can handle everything. Right now, he's in Winston-Salem after missing pretty much the entire first half of the minor league season. And through nine games, he (laughs) has not shown any signs of getting dominated. It's pretty insane, actually. Um, you know, Colson Montgomery, he he looks... I, I watched two different Winston-Salem games this week, like fully watched them through, and he, he's just better than everybody on the field. And that is not to discredit anybody else on the field, anybody they've played, anybody on the on the Winston team. But, you know, he, he his slash line right now is 448, 636, and 621. So he's OPSing over 1250, uh, which is not real. That's not a number you see. He's been intentionally walked three times in high A baseball. In nine games, he has three intentional walks. It's pretty crazy. The power hasn't quite gotten there. We've only seen one home run from him. But generally speaking, Montgomery's just feel for the game and approach is up there with anybody. And he's really becoming one of the premier prospects in all of baseball. I think he's going to be, you know, a top, a consensus top 25 in most places. Um, and these in recent rankings that are going to come out soon. And I think when a few more guys graduate that are up right now, I think, I think he's legitimately a, a top 20 product in baseball and will be pretty consensusly soon. So it's, it's incredible to see. And I'm just, I'm ready to see him in Birmingham. I know I, I get the idea of, you know, letting him settle in in Winston, but you know, when he's just that much better than everybody he's facing right now, there's not too much of a purpose to keep him there. Um, I would like to see him. I expect he'll be up soon. It's not a, it's not, a, again, you're not expecting the majors this year. That's not the plan. That never would be the plan. So in that case, it doesn't necessarily matter where he's at for a few more games or a few less games. Um, but I, I would like to see him in Birmingham, you know, maybe next week hopefully that would be ideal because he he should be in Birmingham we should see him develop in that league and Birmingham's a tough place to hit so I think it'd be a good experience for him in that league especially to really you know take his game to the next level but his approach is phenomenal like we've said many times he's going to start tapping into that power a little bit more um, and he's he's really just looking like everything that we hope he can be I okay so let's discuss the timeline quickly because you know thinking and anticipating so far ahead it's what we do here on the Future Sox podcast we're looking for projection Colson Montgomery at this moment like like Elijah mentioned through nine games in Winston-Salem is holding his own very well so if you think that he'll be in Birmingham by let's say in a couple of weeks by the beginning of August the Birmingham Barons schedule ends on September 17th so I get why they're slow playing him a little bit here in Winston-Salem to allow him to see success and to settle in, like you mentioned, right? But being in Birmingham for what would be essentially two months might be a little aggressive following missing the entire first half of the season. And considering he's 21, playing already a, almost a year and a half uh, below his um, the, the average age of those in advanced A, those are just a couple of reasons that the White Sox is very conservative when it comes to this. But... When it gets to August, regardless how many games Colson Montgomery plays in Birmingham this year, he will be in Birmingham this year. So you're saying next season likely begins in Birmingham. If he has success, he gets to Charlotte. And at that point, anything goes. So that's kind of where we're coming from, Elijah, when it comes to Colson Montgomery's projection. In all honesty, like I know that again, this is we're talking aggressively and this it all depends on how he yeah. performs the rest of the year. He's going to have to show this same stuff in Birmingham, which I think he will, but he needs to show that he's ready and continue to perform at a high level, continue to draw his walks in Birmingham. Uh, but if he does have a good last month and a half of the season in Birmingham, 
could see him as a guy who jumps Birmingham to Chicago next year. I really could. And that is not a common track. We don't see that very often. But I wouldn't be shocked to see him as a guy who maybe makes a quick stop in Charlotte. But Birmingham, as we know with the White Sox, is is a tougher place to hit in many ways than Charlotte is, and especially in the in the Southern League. So I think it, it's going to be interesting to follow. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Colson Montgomery, you know, start in Birmingham next year. And if he's playing well in Birmingham, maybe like a 10-15 game stop in Charlotte before the White Sox. But I, I think by, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the rest of this roster, and we're going to get to some of that later. But there's going to be some openings in this roster sooner than later. And I think next year, I at some point next season, I want to see him in Chicago. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Montgomery is not Rule 5 eligible at the end of the season. So, I mean, that's something that the White Sox can keep in mind in terms of adding him to the 40-man. But that will be necessary when they need to promote him. But I'm sure that won't be much of a challenge. Ah, man, I don't want to discredit those players in the future, man. But the way we anticipate the Chicago White Sox, we believe that in 2024, there won't be a lot of mainstay free agents on the roster. I think there'll be some interchangeable pieces that the White Sox can maneuver that will allow players like Montgomery to be added to the 40-man. And like you said, in Charlotte, not necessary, but it is something that we can keep in mind. Like if you perform in Birmingham, you figure you can perform at the big league level. So points well taken, Elijah. Let's move on to some other players before we get to the deadline. Brian Ramos. This is something that I got to talk to everybody at Future Sox about regarding our next top 30 list is Who's number three? Because, I mean, who's number two? Uh, is it Noah Schultz? Because I believe it could be Noah Schultz. But when we're rating these players, is Jacob Gonzalez number three? Is Brian Ramos number three? What do you think, Elijah? I think for me personally, in terms of prospect rankings, I like to prioritize the upside a little bit more than the current. And I think Brian Ramos' upside is a little higher than Jacob Gonzalez. So I'm putting him at third right now. Um, I think Noah Schultz is, has earned the second spot just because even though he hasn't thrown a ton of innings, I think he's looked so impressive that he deserves that second spot behind Montgomery. Um, but I'm putting Ramos at three and I'm putting Gonzalez at four for right now uh, just because I believe in Ramos. And it's been a little bit of a slow start to really get him back in his rhythm. You know, he played a few games at Kannapolis when he was coming back from his injury and now he's been in Birmingham for a while now. But his OPS is almost at 800. Power is starting to tick up. You're definitely seeing it. He's walking more than he did earlier in the season. He's he's looking a little bit more comfortable with the plate. You're seeing his power get going. And the power upside is, is so much higher even than what we're seeing right now. And that's what I love about Ramos. He's, you know, 22 home runs last year was incredible to see kind of him take that leap. And, you know, seven so far this year in only 40 games. And I, I think that could continue to rise. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit, you know, hit the 15 mark at least by the end of the season. Um, and, you know, I... 
I, I think he has a really projectable bat and it really is just going to come down to him continuing to work on those bat to ball skills and refining his approach at the plate, which has always been pretty good. I mean, his strikeout to walk ratio is like two to one, which is really solid for a power hitter, especially. Um, so I, I love Ramos. And as much as this season hasn't been quite as much as we wanted to see from him, we're seeing pieces of it. Let's hear Kurt Bloom of the Birmingham Barons highlight some success from Brian Ramos in double A. Fly ball belted by Ramos. Left center field to the berm. Gonzo Ramos. And the Barons have hit the 15-run mark. Wow. That one was blasted. Elijah, I think you described it very well. The upside in the bat is something that we should not discount because... Boy, oh boy, does he have a lot of pop, and the bat-to-ball skill is very impressive. So we're going to continue to monitor Brian Ramos' success, and I will call this season a success. He had a really slow start, but boy, is he picking it up, and I'm rooting for a a good second half for him as well. Let's move on to another player on the Chicago White Sox 40-man roster currently, a player that we did see score a major league run. That is Jose Rodriguez. Elijah, Jose Rodriguez can play short he can play second I don't know where he projects to play in the big leagues but adding more up the middle talent is always a good thing I'm just curious what the White Sox want to do with him now moving forward going into next season yeah um what they should do with him is call him up to major leagues and see what they've got with him <laughs> that's my stance on it um I was bummed he didn't get a little bit of a chance when he was up for a few days and you know he, he's got some swing and miss issues to figure out his approach isn't great he had a much better uh, walk great last year he's not walking that much this year he's gotten a little aggressive um, but I think for him it was really just trying to get his swing back into rhythm and you're seeing the power right now is is better than ever in only 58 games in Birmingham this year he's got 14 home runs you know in 2021 was his best year in the minors with 14 home runs that year and that was in 111 games so he's almost doubled his home run pace um, right now and he you know he's got some serious pop especially for a guy who's not that big he's listed at 5'11 175 and 14 home runs right now is pretty amazing um, to go with, you know, some good speed, 15 stolen bases right now, 13 doubles. He's just a, he's a fun player and he's a type of player the White Sox don't really have right now. Um, you know, an infielder with some serious pop, a little bit of swing and miss concerns, um, but a variety of speed and power, uh, which is something that we we need more of in, in Chicago. And I think he's a guy that, you know, I when, when some pieces get moved around in the next few weeks, He's somebody that should be in the fast track to get a spot. I mean, him and Lenin Sosa are the two infielders that have been this kind of on the brink of getting a chance for a while. Um, and I think they they both really deserve the opportunity to show what they've got, assuming that some pieces get moved around in the next week and a half. Let's hear again from Kurt Bloom on Jose Rodriguez. Oh, two. Hit in the air to right field. Hit well. Back goes Hines, and Hines looking up, and this one is Gonzo Rodriguez. Popeye with a home run. 3-1, swing, high fly left, that's deep. Towards the wall, forget about it, Gonzo Popeye Rodriguez. Number 13 for Rodriguez. Thanks to the Birmingham Barons for providing those clips to the Future Sox Roundup. I got to tell you, Elijah, you look at the last two seasons of Jose Rodriguez in A Birmingham, the man stole 40 bases last year. He hit 11 home runs, 21 doubles, and drove in 68 runs. This season, he's got 13 doubles, 14 home runs, like you mentioned, and is stealing 15 out of 20 bases. So you're talking about a multifaceted player with 
some under the radar pop up the middle with athleticism that we saw some decent speed. I'm curious the skill set. I'm curious how he'll develop uh, the remainder of the year. And I'm curious if he will indeed be part of the White Sox in August following August 1st. Can we get to that, Elijah? Let's get to the deadline because there's, there's some stuff that needs to happen. I did a deep dive this week into like all of the trade assets um, for just baseball and then it just broke down, you know, these are the guys that could be moved and what each one of their values looks like and, you know, what some possible teams would be a fit for them. And it really comes down to the pitching. The market right now for pitchers is incredibly thin with a lot of demand. And that is what the White Sox need to absolutely capitalize on. They need to think long term and and I know right now the goal is more of like this 24 maybe 2025 but competing and I that's okay I get that but there's so many different ways they can use their pitching to make this team better for the short term and the long term you can attack the prospect pool that are older more advanced prospects people like to see you know these 19 year old superstar prospects coming back in trades and while that is good we've seen that not work out for the white Sox in recent years where we've acquired these young phenomenally talented guys and they haven't quite developed the way we've wanted to so i don't see any harm in going after some of these more advanced you know double triple a prospects who have already developed a lot and would be ready to help the white Sox next year or the year after And that is what they can do with the pitching that we have right now with, you know, a Giolito and a Lance Lynn who are both likely rentals. Lance Lynn has a team option next year, but at $18 million, that's getting declined by pretty much every team, I think. But Gio's had a big bounce back year. He's proven himself to be a quality pitcher. He's been the most consistent arm on the White Sox in four of the last five seasons, probably. And then Lance Lynn, as much as his numbers on on the front end don't look great, he is an experienced veteran. He's been in the playoffs. He's looked a lot better in his last month or so of starts. You know, he had the 16 strikeout game and he's he's generally looked better in his last, you know, month plus compared to the beginning of the season. And then you flip it, you know, you have to consider Dylan Cease. And I know there's such mixed opinions on this. And I see people there. Some people are like, no way. Some people are like, yup, do it right now. And it's, and I bounce back myself back and forth a little bit. And until about a month ago, I was kind of on the bandwagon of just keeping him and using him as a building block around with Luis Robert. Um, but, you know, we, like I said, with this market right now, you have to think about it. And the the prospect capital, the White Sox could generate a genuine bidding war for Dylan Cease. If they were to say, you know, it is possible to acquire him to other teams. There can be a situation where three, four teams are competing to put together the best package of prospects. And the White Sox could be looking at three top 100 level prospects um, in that type of deal. As much as he hasn't been his 100% self this season, Cease has started to look better lately. He had a really quality month of June, uh, underrated, pretty, pretty good June. And he had one bad start so far in July, but it's generally looked a lot better since the beginning of June compared to the first two months of the year. So you have to think about it. Um, and then, you know, I'll get to some of the other pieces later, but I want to hear your, your take on some of the starters, especially. I completely agree and talk about the demand for starting pitching. And as much as I want to see the White Sox get as much capital as they can, because obviously the plan is to figure out the future. I I just worry about 2024 and the innings load across their starting rotation because there's not immediate help in Charlotte. I mean, it's not like I'm not saying that the White Sox need to be, you know, are trying to be competitive, which they should be. I mean, they should try to win and try to incorporate a lot of the talent as we're describing. You know, it doesn't have to be a full on punt. But man, you got to fill in somehow. And if you're going to spend in free agency, you got to find cheap free agent pitchers and who knows how that's going to work out. So I just have some reservations getting rid of three fifths of the starting pitching staff. If we're thinking about Lynn and Giolito and Cease, 
my Clevenger, and you know what I mean. So it's one of those it's one of those situations where I want to make sure that they have innings for next season and to quit on not to quit, but I know you're gaining a lot in moving Cease. I still think the White Sox are better off with Cease than without him, but that's easy for me to say before hypothetically did decide to move him for some of the best prospect capital in baseball. Right. It's a tricky situation, like you said, because the Sox don't have a lot of, you know, we have some really solid starting pitchers that are coming up the system, but not ones that are going to be ready to start next year in the, in the, you know, the starting rotation. Hopefully, you know, a Jonathan Cannon could be ready next year to be in the rotation, but there, there's a lot of question marks there. So I, I'm okay with the idea of keeping Cease, but you have to understand, you know, if you're not trading Cease at this deadline, you're not getting any franchise-changing prospects. And that's the reality of it. Giolito has been good, and he's going to get something. We're going to get a return for Giolito and Lance Lynn. But those aren't, you know, three months of those two pitchers are not getting you a substantive prospect return. Same thing with a lot of the bullpen pieces. Like I, I was, you know, I was leaning into it. Everybody in the bullpen should be available, by all, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, the only person that you're like you have a high, high price on, honestly, is Gregory Santos, which is crazy to say, considering he came into the year, not in our bullpen. You know, that's somebody that you, is a building block. You, if you get a great offer for him, you consider it. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, Kendall Graveman, Joe Kelly, Keenan Middleton, Ronaldo Lopez, th- those guys are Aaron Bummer. Um, those are guys that you, you have to be open to trading. You know, you can, and at the deadline, that's the most common trade at the deadline is a, is a reliever for prospects straight up. You get a reliever that you need to compete. You get a prospect that you need for the future. Um, I see a lot of those relievers being moved and, you know, a straight one for one, like reliever for prospect type of move, which I'm I'm 100% down for that. But none of those players and including Giolito and Lynn are getting the return of Dylan Cease. I think the return you get for Dylan Cease is probably equal to the return you get for all of those other pitchers I just mentioned, which I know sounds dramatic, but it's not. And that's the reality of the league and the reality of trading at the deadline is Teams value their prospects very, especially the ones that they've developed and they've seen grow and they know have the potential to be impact players. And you're not trading those level of guys unless you're getting controllable quality player, like a, a stud that also has control. And that's Dylan Cease, two and a half years of control for a guy who could easily be, you know, a one or two in your rotation, depending on the team, is a big deal. And there's teams like I've mentioned it uh, before, but, you know, Baltimore. Los Angeles, the Dodgers, the Rangers, there's some teams with really good farm systems that want to win and need pitching. And that is going to be the market for Dylan Cease. And and the market is is hotter than ever. You know, Shane Bieber is hurt right now. So he's off the potential market, even though I don't know if he was going to get traded anyways. The Cubs seem fairly reluctant to trade Marcus Stroman. That could happen. But if it doesn't, you know, Dylan Cease could be the best pitcher on the market in a market with so much need for pitching. So as hard as it is to consider, you got to consider it, at least consider it and be open to the possibility. Um, You know, on the other side of things, I haven't even mentioned this, you know, there's not a ton of assets. The White Sox are moving on the offensive side of the ball. The biggest question mark is Tim Anderson. The the good possibility is that Tim Anderson has been hot after the all-star break. If he continues to look like he's looked the last few days over the next week and looks like his, because the last, this series against the Mets, you know, he, he looked like himself and he has the last few games, um, which is, which is great to see. And it's exciting to see Tim back in, you know, somewhat of a rhythm, but his value just isn't there. If he really continues to be great the next 10 days and they can flip him at the deadline for appropriate value. Sure. But if you're getting, if you're selling, you know, 50 cents to the dollar for Tim Anderson, it's just not worth it. And and you have to, considering he has an affordable option next year, you kind of have to consider just holding on to him and figuring out what you're going to do next year with him. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree on that front. Uh, really good stuff, Elijah. Love when you get all opinionated <laughs> on us here on the roundup. So uh, we're, we'll know a lot more. Maybe by the next time that Probably. we record, we'll have more answers. So yeah. great work as always by Elijah Evans. We're going to talk to you all again next weekend. We release episodes either Saturday or Sunday. Really appreciate your support. Make sure you're subscribed. You'll get two episodes in your feed, the Future Sox podcast with myself and James Fox. We're talking to Pete Flaherty this week, getting some more insight about the draft. And Pete was able to cover a lot of these guys in person and has a lot of knowledge of the industry. So I'm excited for that interview and for you to listen. Again, for Elijah Evans, my name's Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for listening to the Future Sox Roundup. We'll talk to you all next week.